All right, all right, all right. What's up, City Alliance Church? How y'all doing today? Uh, for those of you that are new, my name is Nathan. I have the honor of serving here as the lead pastor. And you may not know this, but we actually have a bunch of folks that watch us online. And so can we just greet our folks watching on Facebook right now? What's up, Facebook? So great to have you guys with us today. And, you know, we are kicking off a brand new series. In fact, it's kind of a brand new season here at City Alliance uh, Church because we actually, today, we did something. We launched a second gathering. So now we have two. We have one at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. So welcome those of you at 11 a.m. But people are most excited about the return of the coffee. Anyone excited about the coffee? Anyone want to give God a praise for the coffee? That's right. Y'all are too young to be drinking coffee. What are you excited about back there? Keep my eyes on you guys. <laughs> well, listen, I do want to share with you, we do have all sorts of things that we are relaunching uh, during this season. In fact, if you're wondering what's going on at City Alliance Church that I should be aware of, if you go to our website, citylineschurch.org slash season of hope, you can get all of the information on there. There's ways that you can sign up and kind of see all the different things that we're doing. I'm going to highlight a couple of the things that we've got going on. One of them is that tonight, youth group is starting up. Any youth group uh, people excited about youth group? Come on. You get, there we go. There we go. So we got a youth group that's starting up today. One of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago is if you want to kind of help your kids kind of, uh, you know, give them a faith that sticks, uh, we encourage you to uh, partner with us. We have youth group. It's uh, for 6th all the way up to 12th grade, and it's really one of the last preventative environments that you have before your kids are kind of sent off into the world. It's a way for us, like I said, to partner with you as you're raising your kids up to love Jesus and love the world. So that's going to be at tonight from 6 o'clock to 7.30. Andrew Traxler is here somewhere. He's our youth director. He's right there, the man back there. So you can give him a wave. If you have any questions about youth group or, or anything, he's your guy. He's also our drummer. You know, he lives in the hamster cage back there normally. But he does a phenomenal job with our, with our students. So I encourage you, make it part of your fall kind of rhythm to get your kids at youth group. I, I have a sixth grader now, which is kind of crazy. I'm having a bit of a panic attack right now thinking about it. But, you know, getting her to youth group as part of our rhythm is going to be something that's going to be new for us as well. Also, in a couple weeks, on October 10th, we'll be celebrating what we call our Child Dedication Sunday. So we've had lots and lots of kids over the past couple, about a year and a half uh, since we did the last one. And so we'll be doing that. You guys can sign up for that by going to our Season of Hope website. On September 26th, we're going to do a special kind of info meeting. And in that meeting, we talk about why we do child dedications versus child baptism, but also give you the logistics, like what does that day look like? We've got two services that we'll be having, two gatherings, so you can kind of sign up which one you want to be at. So again, you can go to our Season of Hope website for all the information about that. Um, Also, we've got baptisms November 7th. We'll have more information on that. But on our Season of Hope website, we'll have everything up to date. We're going to kind of update that this Monday. So every week, we'll have more and more stuff. So if you want to know what's happening, what do I need to be aware of? Go to citylineschurch.org slash season of hope. We'll let you know all the different things that are going to be taking, go happening there. Because really our heart as a church is we want to help you take your next spiritual steps. Because we really want to almost be a place that you see Spirit, City Alliance Church as your spiritual home. Which is why our series is, that we're kicking off with is Welcome Home where we just want you to know that you have a place here. And so I know we've had many of you guys that have been away at college, and now you're coming back. We just want to say welcome home. Uh, Some of you have not been back since the pandemic, and we also want to say welcome home. Or maybe this is your first Sunday. You're kind of checking church out, checking spirituality out. We just want to say welcome home. And again, our heart is that you could make City Lines Church your home. Because the truth of the matter is, uh, in, in a group this size, everyone's coming from different backgrounds. I know some of you guys are Christ followers, and you love Jesus. Some of you are like, I'm not really sure about this Jesus thing, so I'm more of a skeptic. I'm kind of 
just checking things out. Others, maybe you have no belief at all. You're like, I- I'm just here because someone said there was brunch. So whatever that may be, we're just glad you're here today. And again, we want, we, we again want to make space for you to make your home, whether you're a Jew, a Gentile, or a Jedi Knight. Uh, we have a spot for you here at City Alliance Church. But I do want to talk with you, if you are maybe in this place where you're trying to figure out where you're at with God, maybe you're trying to, you're maybe on the fence. You're like, I know about the Jesus story, but I'm not sure about following him, or I'm not sure about taking that next step. Well, today, I want to give you an opportunity to maybe explore that with a message that we are calling Heart of the House, where I want to give you a picture of God's heart for those that are far from him, and then give you an opportunity at the end of this message to begin a journey with him, to begin following Jesus. And so we'll talk about that, but when we talk about the heart of the house, this is not only the heart of God, but our heart as a church. What is our heart for those that are the least, the last, and the lost, for those that are far from God? And so to kind of talk about this, uh, we're going to look at the story that Jerry read. It's the story of the lost sons found in Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, I welcome you to turn with me to Luke 15. Or you can follow along on the screen. And as you're getting set up, let me give you a little bit of kind of background of what's going on in this story. You see, Luke is actually one of Jesus' biographers. He actually wrote two volumes. So volume one is kind of the story of Jesus, and volume two is the story of the church, how the church got started. So in this volume about the life of Jesus, uh, he's talking about this situation that Jesus has with the religious leaders. You see, Jesus and the religious elite were always butting heads. Uh, They never got along because the religious elite did not understand Jesus. Because for them, they understood that if you are, you know, right with God, then you are going to be, you know, you're going to avoid the people that are kind of a mess. The people that are just, you know, they, they have their, their life's not in order. They're not spiritually, you know, pure or morally pure. And so they believe, okay, we have to separate ourselves completely from those folks. But Jesus was always hanging out with them. He was always going to their parties. He's always spending time with them. And they didn't quite get it. So Jesus told them this story. Because the thing is, when you tell someone a story, it's kind of like how you kind of, you know, you come in through your imagination. So Jesus tells them this story about these two sons. There's a father— and he has an older son, and he has a younger son. That's kind of the setup of the story. Since Jerry already read the whole thing, I'm just going to highlight parts of it. But starting at verse 2, we see the younger son approach the father, and he says this, Father, give me my share of the estate. So let me pause right here. See, in the ancient world, this is kind of how estates were run. If you, you know, you have your estate, then if you would die, you would go to your eldest son. And then the eldest son would decide how everything gets dispersed. So right now, everything is out of order. This younger son is going to his dad and asks, Hey, dad, can I, can I have my share of my inheritance? Now, what you don't understand is the historical kind of pretext here, which is this. To say this to your father is essentially saying, You know what, dad? You're better to me dead than alive. In fact, your money is better than having a relationship with you. So would you just hurry up and die so I can get my, 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 my inheritance? And if you're listening to this story in Jesus' time, you're like, what an ungrateful brat. Like, I can't believe you would say that. And, and you're kind of expecting this dad to just kind of like give his son the backhand and move on. But look what the father does. He, he says, so he divided his property. Can we go one back? Oh, other way. There we go. So he divided his property between them. So the father kind of figures out the math in his head, and he divides it up and says, all right, here's your section of it, and, and you know, we'll keep the rest of it. So already, if you're in the first century, you're thinking, man, this father is soft. He is weak. Like, what kind of guy is this that would actually allow that to happen? 
So already this story is kind of shocking and jarring for Jesus' audience, but it's about to get another level of more shocking. It says this, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So essentially, the younger son goes off and goes basically on a bender, essentially. He basically goes from Williamsport, goes, goes to Penn State, and he just parties all the way on his way there. So he's like going to nice restaurants, he's getting into the club, he's like having the time of his life, and things seem like they're going great until they stop being so great. Because look what it says here in the next verse. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in what church? I'll say this together. In need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to what? Feed pigs. So eventually what happened to this kid is the money ran out. And after the money ran out, the friends ran out. And so now he's got nothing. He's like, I've got to figure out a way to make money, but the economy is just kind of tanked. So what does he do? He's like, I'll just take anything. And so he's feeding pigs. Now, if you're a nice Jewish boy, you don't want to be feeding pigs. It's not a good, it's not a good look for you. Because you see, the Jews had this uh, dietary kosher law. And part of that was you would not eat pigs, you would not get near pigs. In fact, if you were like anywhere in their vicinity, you were declared unclean and no longer fit before God. So this kid's in big, big trouble. He's like, you know, kicked out of his house or kind of left his family's house. He, he kind of has this reputation, and now it seems like he's wrong with God. And so he's in this field taking care of these fi- pigs and just looking at what the pigs are eating going, man, that looks good. Mmm, slop. And at some point, he's like, man, I'm just so hungry. You know, I know the guys that work for my dad, like, he feeds them three square meals. Uh, they get health insurance and dental and vision. Here I am stuck in this, oh, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And he, he has this aha moment, like, I'll just go, go back to my dad and just beg him to take me back. Not, not even as a son, as, as a hired servant. And so he takes the walk of shame back home. And as he's doing this walk, you ever, you ever do this where you're about to have a hard conversation with someone, or maybe it's an apology and you start rehearsing it, and maybe you talked about it with your spouse, hey, I'm going to say this, or you're, look, you're talking in a mirror, like kind of talking it through. That's what he's doing on his way there. I'm sure he looks kind of crazy talking to himself, but he's rehearsing this speech, you know, God, I, I mean, Dad, I sinned against you, and, and God, you know what, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Would you consider hiring me? And so the folks that are listening to Jesus tell this story are like, well, that's right. This is how this story should end. If this father takes him back, he should be a servant. He should be a slave. He has no worth. He has no value. You know, they're thinking this is a predictable formulaic thing, you know, kind of like a Marvel movie, right? You always know how a Marvel movie is going to end. And I love Marvel movies, so, you know, sometimes you just need that, right? But they think this is how the story is going to end. But this is where I love Jesus. Jesus throws this twist ending that no one expected. He says this in in the next verse. He says, not long after that, Oh, sorry. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was what? Filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So what does this verse tell me? It tells me this, that the dad is scanning around. He's like looking around. Is my son coming back? Is he coming up that road? Is he going to come back? He is intentionally looking out for his son, wondering if he's coming back. And then when he sees his son, he does something that no one expects. He runs to him. Now, here's why this is so unexpected. You see, in the ancient world, this is how well-to-do men dressed. 
They had these long flowing robes that went all the way down, and they were expected to be regal. They were expected to, to act, you know, you know, mature and you know, all this stuff. But when he sees his son, he loses his mind. He, he, he pulls up his, his robe, and he's like, I don't care if they see my chicken legs. I'm going to go. I'm going to run to my son, and I'm going to hug him. I'm going to hold him. And he hugs his son. He puts his bear hug around him. And his son's trying to be like, Dad, come on, stop. I, I, I sit against you and God. And, and, he, and, and before he could even finish his practice speech, the dad's like, we need to celebrate. Here's what he says. He says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to, what's this word, church? One loud voice. Ready? Celebrate. Now, if you're in the first century and you're listening to this story, you're like, what? The math doesn't add up. This kid essentially said, you're better to me dead than alive, dad. He takes all everything, and he goes, and he just parties, and he wastes all the money. He's living with pigs, so he's like spiritually not in a good spot. And yet he comes back with this walk of shame, this wayward, and you're going to throw a party with him? You see, what Jesus was doing, he was almost, dis- he, not almost, he was, he was disrupting this sense of what the Pharisees thought and the religious leaders thought God was like. And he actually reveals to them the heart of the Father. This is actually God's heart. Let's go back in verse 20. It says this, while there's still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The first thing we learn about the heart of God is he has a heart of compassion. God's heart for those that are the least, the last, and lost is of compassion. He's scanning the horizon, looking for them to come back. His sons and his daughters that have taken a road that are moving further away from him. That's his heart. And I think so often in our culture, we've been taught, man, if you mess up, you got to hide that from people. You got to hide that from God. God doesn't want to see your sin, shame, and all your crap. He doesn't want to see that. In fact, when I'm in trouble, the last person I want to go to is God. But I think that comes from this like distorted picture of how we see God. I think a story a friend of mine told, uh, a, a friend of mine, he's a buddy, him and his cousin decide to sneak into New York City. They're like 16 years old. So they do one of those, hey man, um, I'm going to tell my mom I'm staying at your place, and then you can say to your parents you're staying at my place, and we'll kind of do that thing, right? So they do that, and they, you know, they take the train into New York City. And so, you know, they do what any 16-year-olds do in New York City. They just kind of walk around, you know, for hours and hours in Manhattan. Maybe they stop and get a slice of pizza. I think they sneak into a bar because they thought, oh, they're so tough, they're so cool. And so, anyway, it's like 2 to 3 in the morning. And they're like, all right, we better get back on the train and get back home because, you know, we don't want to, like, you know, get caught. Well, it turns out they spent all their money. So they're stuck in Manhattan, no way home. So my friend, you know, he's like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know what we're, what we're going to do. And so he looks to his cousin because, you know, it's his idea. He's like, yo, bro, we're in trouble. You got to call your dad. And my friend's cousin just turns white as a sheet. He's like, no, man, you, you don't get it. We're in trouble. We can't call my dad. You see, my friend's cousin, his dad was a functional alcoholic. So he knew that if he called his dad, he was going to get beat at home. Because that's how bad it was. But for my friend, he didn't think like that. He goes, no, dude, like, we, we're in trouble. We have to call my dad. He's going to help us. He's going to be mad, disappointed. But he loves us and cares about us. Do you see the difference between I'm in trouble 
I have to call my dad. Versus, I'm in trouble. I gotta, I gotta call my dad. See, I think so often we have a view of God that says he's distant, that he's angry, that he just wants to come and just kind of break us down and judge us. He's, look, he's like scanning to see where we mess up so he can get us. But that's not the picture of God that we see in this story. We get a picture of God, yeah, he's scanned in the room, he's scanning for you, but so he can come alongside you, he can embrace you, he can bring you home. You see, the father's heart is he wants his wayward sons and daughters, the last, the least, and the lost home. He wants them home where they can be safe, they can be protected. They can be cared for. In fact, the motivation for this, you know, I love what Paul says in Romans 2, 4. He says this. He says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Maybe some of you know this verse. It's, it's God's kindness that leads us towards repentance where we turn away from the things that damage and destroy us. We turn to God for redemption, for healing, for wholeness. That's the heart of God. He sees your sin and how your sin impacts you and how it hurts you, crushes you, and hurts other people. And he says, I want you to come home where you can be safe. I want you to come home where you can know love and belonging and acceptance. That's the heart of the Father. But it's also a heart... And I think that oftentimes we don't really get the fact that when you come home, God is throwing a party. You know, when you look at the story, what happens? Like, you know, the younger brother comes home, and, you know, they've got a ring on his finger. They put a robe on him, and they're having a party. They are celebrating. And, you know, I was reading this, and, I, I, you know, I read this passage a lot. Like, I know this passage a lot. If you grew up in the church, you probably know this passage a lot. But what does it actually mean to, to not just read about it, but actually experience it? To actually experience this, this celebration. And so I was thinking, well, what if we actually made this passage come alive a bit? And I was talking to, talking to the staff. Hey, guys, what if we got a cow and brought it on stage, and then we slaughtered it, and we passed out like steak? Yeah, I mean, do you guys think that's a good idea? And uh, they were like, no, because one, it's messy, and two, uh, PETA will be very upset with us because they can watch us online now. So... I'm thinking, like, how do, we, how do we express the celebratory nature of God's love? Well, if we can't have a cow party, maybe we can do something else that's some, with something that's sweet and delicious and sugary and buttery. Maybe we can actually celebrate God's heart for the least and the last and the lost and throw a little cookie party at church. You guys down with having a cookie party in church? All right, let's do this. Let's play some music and give out some cookies. Who wants some cookies? Anybody? All right, right there. Here's a cookie for you. Oh, we're having a party, folks. Who else wants a cookie? We got more cookies. Right over here. Okay. Up there. You guys want a cookie? All right, this is going to go all the way up. Ready? I'm going to wind up. Let's see. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, snap. Someone just got hit. Yikes. All right, that's enough. That's enough. It's too early for it's too early for EDM in church, y'all. If you are allergic to um, you know dairy or butter or you know peanuts, please do not eat a cookie. Pass it along because I don't know what's in it. But <laughs> well, you know I know that was a kind of a silly moment, but I feel like we need to kind of take a moment to actually pause and remember that this is God's heart. He celebrates when we come home. He's not looking to judge you and get you. He's actually looking to celebrate you because he knows that you're safe. If you're a parent, you know what it's like when your kid's wayward and they take a walk and they're gone. You don't care if they're disobedient. I mean, you're upset with them, but you want them home where they're safe. And that's the heart of the father. He wants the wayward sons and daughters home. 
But the name of the story isn't the return of one son, one lost son. It's two sons that are lost. And there's another son that maybe when we first look at him, it doesn't seem like he's lost, but yet he's probably more lost than the wayward son is. Because this son has what I call a religious spirit. He's dutiful. He does the right things. On the outside, he looks great. He performs really, really well. This is the son that while all this is happening, he's out in the fields. He's working. He's doing all the right things that you're supposed to do. And then he comes home. As he's coming home, he's like, what's going on here? Like, there's, there's music, there's dancing. Like, yo, who's, why, why are they playing Drake? Like, what's going on? So the servants say to him, they say this. Go to this here. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Why is he so mad? Like, yo, your brother just came home. Like, you know, he, he, he's okay now. Like, why are you so upset? Like, where's all this rage coming from? But you see, this is the dutiful brother. This is the brother that watched his dad sell half of his estate so this kid could go and just party with that money. This is the son that, you know, stayed home and got, got focused, got good grades, went to college, got the great job, did all the right things, came back home to run the family business. He's the son that is the dutiful, the good, the son that everyone likes. And so when he sees his younger brother celebrated, he's angry. Because really, in his mind, those of us that are older brothers and sisters, putting myself in that category, we feel like we've earned a spot in the father's house. I worked hard to get here. I'm dutiful. I'm doing all the right things. This is my house. Rather than realizing it's because of the Father's love that we have a place in this house. So the, so the Father goes out to his son, because he's not coming home. So the Father goes out to the older brother, and he says, and the older brother leans into his dad. He says this, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice how he says, It's not my brother, that son of yours... That son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him? He's like, Dad, how could you be so generous towards him? How could you be so kind towards him? Don't you know what he did? Like, I I can't believe that you would do that. You see, the problem is when you have the religious spirit, you don't have the heart of the Father. Because the one with the religious spirit, there's a judgmentalness. There's a condemn, he's condemning towards those who are the last, the least, and the lost. Because he's like, you know what? They're a bunch of screw-ups. I'm doing the right thing. I earned my spot in the Father's house. I did all the right things. He's essentially saying, I earned my way here. But look what the Father says to his son. He says this, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Essentially saying is this, my son, the reason why you have a place in my house is because I've chosen to love you. And because you are an object of my love, everything I have is yours. But your brother, he was lost and he's found. He was dead and he's alive again. 
Will you enter into my joy and celebrate with me? See, this is what it is. It's an invitation to the Father's joy. The, lo- the last, lost, least, they've come home. Do we celebrate with the Father? When broken people come back and get reconnected with their creator, it doesn't always look the way we want it to look. It's messy because people are messy because life is messy. But when they come home, do we celebrate that? Or do we just like, oh, well, you know what? They just need to get their life together. Do we have a heart like the Father? Do we make room for the spiritually lost and disconnected, the spiritually dead in our lives? See, it's a story about two sons. Both sons are lost. But there's a father who pursues them both, who seeks after them. And when you look at these two lost sons, I think the best, I think, artistic rendition of what this looks like is by Rembrandt. Uh, I'm not really a fine art guy. I'm more like a comic book art guy. But I really do like this painting. I saw this about 20 years ago. And it really just kind of spoke to me. Like Rembrandt does a lot with like light and dark and and, I, and if you're able to take a good look at the son, the, the, the prodigal son here, he is just disheveled, broken by the world, broken by his waywardness. And he just comes home and he grabs onto his father's robes and he buries his head in there. And, and you can see, you know, his head's been shaved. But on his face, there's this picture of serenity and peace because he's like, I'm home. I'm home again. And the father is relieved to have his son back. And he's just enjoying that moment. But then you see the elder brother. And you notice in the painting, there's a space between the father and the younger son and the elder brother. And the elder brother is just looking down with just disgust. He just can't believe what's happening here. Because he's got that judgmental religious spirit. Like he's, and he's like, he doesn't deserve to be here. I've got to ask us a question. Which one of these brothers do you resonate with? Because the truth is, all of us, at one time or another, we're either the younger brother or the older brother. We're the ones that are falling apart, that don't have our life together, and we're the ones that are judging others for not having their life together either. They're not, they don't have their theology together. They don't have this together. Whatever it may be. And when we find ourselves in that place, that's when we need to run back to the Father's house. Because you see, Jesus took the journey of both of these sons. Jesus took the journey of the lost son, of the wayward son. He left his father's house in heaven. He came to earth. He gave everything. He gave his very life on the cross so that he can reconcile humanity with God. And then he came back home to his father's house, not as a disobedient son, but as a son who was obedient all the way. Jesus is also the elder brother. He's the one that's at the right hand of the father, the firstborn among all of us, who's a constant reminder the father's love is you have value and worth because i've chosen to love you you have value and worth because of who you are not because of what you do the reason why you have a place in my house is because i have invited you to come see i think this is almost you know we call this story the story of the prodigal son you know one of the definitions of prodigal it's generous lavish love it's lavish generosity And in many ways, that's what we see in the story. We see a story of a prodigal God who, out of great generosity and out of great love, pours out his grace and his mercy on those who don't deserve it and says, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. Stop running away. Stop wandering. It's time to come home. Maybe you're here today, and maybe that's your story. You've kind of been running away from God. 
Maybe on the outside, you looks like you have it all together, but your heart's the one that's been kind of distant. Or maybe you're like, Nathan, I don't even know where I'm at spiritually. How do I begin the journey? How do I follow Jesus? Like, what does that look like? Wherever you're at in your journey, I want to give you a couple things to help you begin this journey with Jesus. And it's really simple. It's, it's actually as easy as ABC. A is simply admit you're a sinner. Now, I know none of us really wants to admit that we're a sinner, but one of the things that the scriptures teach is that there's this thing called sin. It's almost like a moral and a spiritual disease, and it rots away at us and our society, and, our, and it, it causes so much brokenness and separation. And the problem is, is we actually participate in it. When we're supposed to say the right things, but we don't say it, when we're supposed to do the right things, and we won't do them, all those things kind of enter in. And what our sin does, it actually separates us from God. It causes so much brokenness in our world. So if we want to begin to follow a relationship, we just need to admit the fact that we are sinners. We fall short. And then B, it's to believe in Jesus. Not just that he was a historical figure, but actually say, hey, I want to give my life to follow him. Because the problem with sin is that God needs to remove it. He needs to judge it. And so what does he do? He has to destroy it. And sometimes that means we're in that direction. But because of Jesus dying on the cross, he's actually died for our sins so that we don't have to die for them. And we have his righteousness. And so now we actually have the ability to do C, commit to him. Commit to follow him, follow his ways. Jesus teaches us how to be a new kind of human, how to actually be filled with his Holy Spirit and how to actually walk in the way that he's called us and made us to walk in. And that's really what it takes. It's as simple as A, B, C. Admit you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, and commit to follow him. These are the beginning steps in your journey to Jesus. But there's also a D. And D is to do it today. So I want to invite you to actually begin by praying a prayer with me. There's nothing magical about this prayer, but there's simply, I just want to give you words to maybe articulate what's happening in your heart right now. So that you can begin a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you can give your life back to Jesus because maybe you've wandered and you want to come back to the Father's arms because the Father wants you home. This could be your welcome home party that the, God, that the Father is welcoming you into. So here's what I'd like us to do. Would you bow your heads with me so we can pray? And if you want to begin this journey with Jesus, I would love it if you could just repeat these words out loud after me. In fact, why don't we do this? Why don't we have all of us Repeat these words out loud so no one feels um, singled out. But this is how you begin your journey with Jesus. Just repeat these words after me, phrase by phrase. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I can't save myself from the power of sin. I believe in Jesus who died for me, who rose from the dead, so that I could have a relationship with the Father. I choose to follow you and learn your ways that you can transform me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Can we welcome new brothers and sisters of the family of faith, everybody? Praise God. Listen, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you want to start taking steps to grow in your relationship with Christ, um, at the end of the service, our prayer team is going to be here. I want to invite you to come talk with them. We have a gift for you. Uh, We would love to pray with you and help you on this journey. 
And because you are beginning this new relationship with Christ, we get to sing this song together as part of his family. I just want to say welcome home. So would you all stand with me? And for many of you, worship for the first time as a son and daughter of Jesus.